This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Before we start, I have to do a little clap to synchronize audio. You know, it's not for me to kind of straddling in the chair. I think you'll find it's jazz hands these days. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> hello, hello, and welcome, or should I say, welcome back to the Indie Football Podcast. I am Ed Malian. I am uh, back from the Ryder Cup where you may have seen that European uh, victory sent the Americans home very salty indeed. No salt in this room, only uh, two of my favourite people. To my left, may I introduce to you our man about London town. The uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, the man who who just loves covering Arsenal oh, more I than life it. itself. It's Luke love Brown. It. Hi, you're right. I am great. Uh, the Mourinho apologist on here uh, on, on a day when Mourinho needs apologists. Someone's got to stand up for the man. <laughs> Someone's got to stand up for the, the, the downtrodden people in society, and Jose, of course, is one of those. Um, to my right, a debutant, would you believe? Um, it is ESPN's Chelsea correspondent. Liam, how do you pronounce your surname? I always get it wrong. Toomey. Think, think Chuckle Liam Brothers. Toomey <laughs> is on the podcast. Brother. There was a kid in my school oh. who had the same surname as you, but said it differently. So I'm not saying you've got it wrong, but maybe just rethink how you say it. Um, yeah. But Liam, you were at Chelsea Liverpool. I was. At the weekend. Um, when you saw former Chelsea striker Daniel Sturridge get the equaliser late on. Um, I did catch that literally on someone's phone, uh, like in a crap hotel in mm. a, just outside Paris. And everyone went crazy. There was a lot of people watching it there. It, was, it, it kind of felt like the big game of the weekend. So I think we should do a, a few minutes on that before we have the Champions League phone in, which sounds exciting and it's even better than you probably need a jingle for that. Champions League phone <laughs> Um, so yeah, Chelsea Liverpool. Talk to me, boys. Um, I, I say I, I saw the denouement, if you will, and uh, that incredible goal. And I think that's a good place to start, really. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Uh, the game. It was probably the fastest game I've ever seen live. The first sort of just the speed of play. Yeah, it was incredible. I mean, Liverpool. We know always press really high, really hard. Chelsea have been trying to do that since Sarri came in. Um, and it was really impressive to see neither team compromise on the way they see how to play football. You know, Liverpool turned up high-pressing. They actually ended up having more of the ball than Chelsea, which is the first time Chelsea have had less than 50% all season, usually been comfortably over 60. Um, And on the balance of chances, they probably should have won the game, and in the end, it took a moment of brilliance from Sturridge, who does love a goal against Chelsea. I mean, he also loves a good goal yeah I remember that one he scored in the um, the Europa League final who did they lose to in the Europa League final Sevilla Sevilla he scored a belting goal just before half time Uh, you know he does occasionally come up in the big moments he just doesn't get many 
moments full stop, I guess, in this Jurgen Klopp Liverpool team. They've got a lot of options there. I mean, they've still got players like Rian Brewster who kind of we want to see get more mm. time from a, Dominic Solanke as Dominic well. Solanke, like pr- promising young England strikers. And you've got Sturridge there as well for Mino and everyone. Um, what, what do you think kind of that might do for him? Do you think there's a chance that he might get more in the picture now? Because just purely from a kind of motivational and mental point of view, it's a big breakthrough for him who's kind of just been just lost for a long time. Yeah, I mean, he's he's a spectacular talent. He has been ever since he, he, he broke through at Manchester City. And the thing that's always held him back is his body. I mean, that's what makes me sceptical now that this could be part of some grand comeback because it's just as likely that he comes on for Liverpool next week and gets a muscle injury. Um, so it's difficult to it's difficult to say what happens, but I think actually this could be a really good role for him on this Liverpool team, maybe coming on with 15, 20 minutes to go, not putting too much strain on the muscles, but whenever they need a moment of brilliance, we've seen many times that Sturridge is more equipped than most strikers to, to provide that. I, I just hope he kind of does get that chance. I suppose the first point about Sturridge is that he's a kind of player that proves like the squad that Liverpool have. And I know Shakiri is not the best example to bring up because he missed that like great chance. But you know to be able to bring on players such as that, and they've got so many options in midfield as well. But um, yeah, I remember writing or starting to write a profile about Sturridge last year, which never got published in the end. Um, and just deemed not good enough. Just couldn't bother to finish it, to be honest. <laughs> oh, but okay, like, I spoke to a couple of people. I spoke to a guy who I can't remember who it was, but it was one of his uh, teammates um, at like one of the at City, like right in the early days. And he said that like the quality he had was just like unbelievable and he told me the story about how like in some youth team match he scored a goal pretty much direct from kickoff they kicked off literally took the ball rifled it in and he's always kind of played like that like he he is quite a demanding player he always wants the ball you know he doesn't track back he doesn't work particularly Strikes hard he's a bit so. of a playground footballer yeah almost and somebody who's always been like the best yeah, so, well, yeah I mean if he's he was, if, if he was that good as a kid where you're essentially kind of like a globally elite player at 15 or whatever yeah, you know, even the way that the way that he joined City was was incredibly. I mean, it was acrimonious, right? Mm. The way the way he left, um, he's, he's bounced around a bit. I just think it, it, you forget that he was he was on loan at West Brom last year, yeah. Which was and and when he signed for them, I thought, well, he's going to keep them up. But it just seemed like one of those signings, and then it was more like a signing Costas Mitroglou than it was, you know, anything else. Like they went down, and, and he didn't really do anything. Um, in the same way Fulham that did that season, so. What, what does this tell us about Liverpool, though, in terms of their ability to fight for a title? I mean, they've got their biggest test coming up this weekend with Liverpool against Manchester City. I think it shows that they've got more weapons than ever before because, I mean, to a certain extent, in terms of process, Plan A worked really well. They created a lot of chances against Chelsea despite each half kind of had a slightly different pattern. I mean, Chelsea were playing quite high up first half, second half, they were dropping a little bit more deep, but Liverpool managed to to breach them either way. Salah could have scored a hat-trick. Shaqiri missed that guilt-edge chance. But then when all else fails, they do have that final option on the bench of Sturridge who can just do something that that no one would have thought possible. And they didn't have that last year or the last couple of years, partly because of Sturridge's injuries, but also because they didn't really have a bench until now. And I think that's a big weapon for Liverpool. Also players that were guaranteed starters for them before are now kind of bench options mm. which is probably better like Alberto Moreno off the bench yeah okay like if he's starting left back for 38 games in the Premier League you're in trouble you know the, the, the big thing with Fabinho I guess he's, he's arrived for 40 million he's barely played and 
Well, Naby Keita's dropped out as well yeah, last few games. That's probably for the best, you know. Like mm. you're gonna need a squad for the whole season. The thing, what they've done is they've, you know, for, we've talked about it a lot in the podcast. They forensically looked at the weaknesses in their team and then bought a player to replace that in the first team. But you still got guys that you know you can you can have Jordan Henderson on the bench as he has been. You can have Milner on the bench, and the only I mean there are a couple of players in that team who are irreplaceable. I think Virgil Van Dijk seems the obvious one to me. He seems uh, to be establishing himself as one of the better central defenders on the planet I think from what I've seen so far he uh, he totally swallowed up Olivier Giroud on, on Saturday I've not seen Giroud be so ineffectual even when he's not a goal threat which is quite often <laughs> but even when he's not a goal threat which turns out to be quite often he's at least quite good at making the players he's around him better man. he's a great man and every time he tr- they tried to hit the ball to him on the ground on the floor Van Dijk just completely owned him Mo Salah on his return to Stamford Bridge he looked a little bit tight to me. He looked like he was trying a little bit too hard. Maybe the game meant a little bit too much to him. But he got a couple of chances, particularly in the first 20 minutes, on his left foot, cutting in from the right. And textbook salad chance. He balloons one way over the bar um, and, and miscues another. There was another one where he tried to play in Firmino when it would have been much more sensible to shoot. He was unlucky with the one that was cleared off the line. Brilliant recovery from Rudiger. Team is though, isn't it? That like Mohamed Salah can be going through this reasonably poor patch, and yeah. it's not. It's not even really. They're still a ticking, story. Off, they're ticking off scores, you know, to yeah. results. I mean, the, the, the winning run's gone, but it's still a good result for them. Um, what's your current projection for Chelsea? Where, where do you see them at the end of the season now? Predicted at the start of the season that they finished third, and as predictions often go, you immediately have second thoughts, but. The results over the first few weeks have been much better than anyone expected, including Sarri. Um, so I think they're ahead of schedule and I'm more confident now that they'll finish third than I was. But I still don't see them in the same class. as I think City are, are still the class of the division and there's a, a bit of a gap. Liverpool need everything to break right if they want to yeah, push we, them close. Kind of said that it's kind of City, gap, Liverpool, bigger gap. Mm. And then there's a cluster of perhaps Chelsea, Spurs, Man United battling for two Champions League spots. Yeah, I'm more confident now that Chelsea will finish top of that group. Yeah, and, and, and Spurs, uh, a lot of players ruled out for this game with Barcelona and they and they play in the league next weekend. So, like, Eriksen's out, Ali's out, Lloris is, is, returned is back in training. But, play. you know, they're, they're missing a lot of guys. Uh, Serge Aurier, who we talked yeah. about at length last week, a lot of Spurs chat last week. The surge special. Um, the power surge. Uh, that was... Uh, Sorry, I just completely lost my track. Yeah, <laughs> last week we did loads of loads of Spurs, but they're they're in trouble. So I think, I, I think the gap between, like obviously this is recency bias, but it looks to me like the gap between Chelsea dipping down to Spurs and United is bigger than the gap between Chelsea and Liverpool. Because I mean, Spurs have got some serious problems. United look like they're probably going to have a managerial change at some point soon, and then you've got Arsenal who are still kind of Find, finding themselves. Well, but yeah, they look exceptionally brutal at the back so I think that that gap is actually going to be bigger than it has been in recent seasons and looking ahead to Liverpool Manchester City how do you see that going it's going to be an, an amazing game isn't it I mean I think the great thing about Liverpool Chelsea was that it it kind of suggested we're going to have this amazing title race because the way City won the title last year obviously you you could have anticipated almost like a kind of slightly defensive reaction from other teams and how did they actually counter City how did they kind of work their way back into the title race Liverpool and Chelsea just went at each other like from the first minute and it was this kind of thrilling attacking game and it looks like Liverpool are just going to fight fire with fire basically so yeah it promises to be special I mean I don't know you have to favour City I suppose but I still do I still think 
City are a superior side, but haven't been playing exceptionally well. You know, and and it's just you know these things don't even themselves out over the, over a season. It's it's one off games, isn't mm. it? Um, could be a red card or something that completely flips these these results. So and, and again, in a way that you know Salah's poor form isn't too much of a story for Liverpool. The fact that like De Bruyne has been out and yet City are still playing. I kind of think you know if Liverpool win, it's it's a really interesting one for the title race. Mm. Yeah, big because when you know City will get De Bruyne back and they all roar back into this, it's not a thing. But kind of if City have a bit to make up, there might be. You know, I think everyone wants a proper title race this year. We, you know, it's annoying not to have one. Yeah, you know, like people that get bored of the kind of having to deal with like oh, there's a relegation battle. Oh, who's going to finish seventh? That sort of stuff. Give us a proper title race. Then we'll talk. Otherwise, we're not going to cover the Premier League on this podcast anymore. <laughs> possibly. Um, Champions League week. Not for you all, boys. Uh, Liam, <laughs> no. uh, big game against Vidi of Hungary coming up. Uh, Luke, you're covering Arsenal versus Karabag for us on Thursday. But not in. No, you're not going to Azerbaijan. We did have a journalist banned from there last year for writing about the disputed Nagorno-Karabakh region. Yeah, that ruined my preview. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which uh, you can read on the website. Uh, Robert O'Connor wrote that. Um, just Google Nagorno-Karabakh, which I'm sure you all know how to spell. But uh, you know, one of the reasons the podcast was late, apart from me not being an actual country, is that uh, all the boys are out and about, obviously in different countries. Jack Pitt Brook is in Germany. He's off there covering Hoffenheim versus Manchester City, which is the Tuesday night game. But then he returns in time for uh, for Spurs Barcelona at Wembley. So um, I'll get Jack on the phone, and uh, we can. Talk to him in a second. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, Jack. Um, we're doing a Champions League preview as I uh, did explain off air and Spurs uh, showed last year really that they can tough it out with the big teams at this level we saw what they did with, with Real Madrid Spurs-Barca at Wembley is a very enticing game but what do we actually expect from them against Barcelona on Wednesday night? Hi Ed my expectations for Tottenham on Wednesday night are not very high to be honest I know they've they've certainly turned a corner in recent games after that three-game 
losing streak. Um, they've actually played okay in the second half against Inter. The last those three losses, then I thought they were a bit better when they won at Brighton. Ground out the win against Watford. Ground out the win at Huddersfield. Um, so results have improved. Performances have slightly improved, but it's still it's still not what you would describe as being classic Spurs. The big question, as ever, surrounds Harry Kane and his form. Again, like his team, I think he's slowly moving in the right direction. Scored one at Brighton, two at Huddersfield. It's just about getting better shooting positions. But I, as with the rest of the team, it's not really the Kane in the last few years. I know they're playing against Barcelona, and that might make people pessimistic about the game. But then Barcelona are in a crisis of their own. Like they've, I think they've dropped six or seven points in the last three La Liga games. And so they won't. We, they will be coming in with no confidence either. So I think we want. It's not going to. It could be a good game, but it's not going to be a classic. And so, if they are to win this game, uh, what is the game plan? Do you think Pochettino is going to have to turn to? Uh, it's a team he's familiar with playing against, but you know, what, what strategy is he actually going to put out there? It's interesting because before the game, Pochettino said that he wanted Spurs to play on the front foot, and that was the best way to stop Barcelona. He said that Spurs had to try to have possession, to play in the Barcelona half, to push Messi as far away from their goal as possible because they know that if Messi gets the ball near their goal, then it's going to be terrible, as he said. That said, if you look, in my memory of the um, the famous home wins against uh, Borussia Dortmund and Real Madrid last year, is that Spurs didn't really need to dominate possession. They actually, they it was more a case of sitting back, but using possession when they had it and attacking hard on the counter-attack. The way they cut through Dortmund and Real Madrid for those goals was, was, was really memorable. But the thing is, they did that when they had Deli Ali, who's obviously injured now, at the moment. Hyung Min Son in top form, who's he's only just come back from the Asia Cup. And that means that it's not really going to be... I don't know if Spurs can play that kind of counter, fast counter-attacking style against Barcelona. I'm not really sure what sort of Spurs we're going to see on Wednesday night, to be honest, especially given that... Yamatonga and Moussa Dembele are also injuries out. And, you know, those are, again, two of their most experienced players. I think if they're going to have to be very reliant on Kane. They're going to need Eriksen to step up. He has, hasn't started the season especially well. They'll need a big contribution from Lucas Moura. So, I th- again, I, it's funny. The more I think about this game, I don't really know I don't really know what to expect. Um, but it, perhaps the stage is set for Messi to take over. And, of course, as I said, you're in Germany for Manchester City uh, against Hoffenheim. It should be pretty regulation, I think. Uh, but Hoffenheim have a threat that you're keeping an eye on, I believe, in the, that you've written about today. Yeah, I'm currently in Sinsheim, which is a strange place. It's basically just... It's like a motorway with some service stations and drive throughs and a football ground where Hoffenheim play. Uh, but, yeah, this evening, Manchester City are playing there. And Hoffenheim's an interesting story, obviously, because they, they've kind of come from nowhere, funded by local software magnate. Um, but now they're in the Champions League, and one thing they've done very well is finding good, young, cheap Brazilian players, bringing them over for not much money, uh, making them into you know established, established players in the European leagues, and then selling them for a big profit. Um, Luis Gustavo, who went on to Bayern Munich, uh, Carlos Eduardo, who went on to Ruben Kazan, and most famously Roberto Firmino, uh, who now plays for Liverpool, all of them you know, generating big profits for the club. Uh, the, the next man, or the next part of that production line, is Jolinton, who will be playing up front for Hoffenheim tonight. He's an interesting guy because, again, he came from a sports recife, um, 
you know, fairly unheralded, had to go on loan to Rapid Vienna for a few years to kind of learn European football, but he's now probably the first name on the team sheet and really embraces the kind of aggressive pressing style of Julian Nagelsmann. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing him play. I think he's going to give City a bit of a rough time. It's funny with City because they because they lost the first game at home to Lyon. Suddenly, uh, all these other games have a bit of added extra pressure uh, and they're not going to breeze through the group as perhaps we thought they would. But maybe that's a good thing. I mean, Pep, that's what Pep Guardiola said in the in the press conference yesterday, is that he, he kind of wants City, like everyone at City, cl- the club, the players, the fans, to take this competition as seriously as he does. And maybe the fact that they did screw up the first game and they now have to go, they now have what he called five finals left in the group stage, that might encourage them to like appreciate the competition, respect it, value being in it, value staying in it, and perhaps that might kind of create the kind of enthusiastic atmosphere that he's been begging people at City to to really conjure up for these games. So it's going to be an interesting one. Thank you, Jack Pitbrook. In Germany with Manchester City, back in Manchester is our Northern football correspondent, Mark Critchley, uh, who's had quite the week, really, dealing with the, the fallout uh, of a certain Portuguese man who's not having his way at the moment. So, Critch, uh, do you think the Mourinho situ- situation is likely to bleed into the Champions League, I see absolutely no reason why not. Um, it's 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 like a contagion that's spreading, and it's it's not competition specific. It runs much deeper than that. You can tell that from the performance on Saturday. I thought I personally wasn't at the Brighton defeat, um, but I'm reliably told that was much worse. But still, in terms of watching United firsthand, Saturday was the most inept kind of listless display that I've seen from them under Mourinho and I thought Lucio was absolutely right afterwards to come out and call it horrendous. Mourinho himself has talked a lot about attitude recently and it now feels as though the pool of players that you can trust to at least look like they're performing for him and trying to turn things around, that pool seems to be shrinking. On on Saturday it seems to me like you just had young uh, of course, Maran Fellaini's trusted lieutenant, Matic and McTominay, a kid that, you know, owes everything to him. Yeah, there's players like Shaw who know they have something to prove and they're playing, you know, moderately well, but the rest just seem disillusioned and it tallies with what we're hearing about dressing room unrest as well. Um, the problems with Pogba and Marshall have been there for all to see. Valencia and Sanchez, they were bombed out on Saturday. I think basically we're coming to a point now where a few good results do not solve the underlying issues. Uh, They simply kind of slow the news cycle down a little bit and give everyone a chance to breathe and allow the club to muddle on until the next defeat, which you have to say is just no position that Manchester United should be in. And uh, what do you you make of these reports we've seen linking Conte and Zidane? And particularly one I saw on the front of Corriere de la Sport, which is the the Beppe Morata-Conte element of that story. Yeah, um, I think the thing to note on Conte is that Yes, he's on the market, and yes, people are suddenly starting to remember that, but he's still being paid by Chelsea to the tune of about £9 million a year, and he will be for the remainder of the season, so long as he does not take up another job. Now, you'd imagine that, given how hard he had to fight for that severance package, uh, given how long it, it, it took to come to him, that any offer would have to be a substantial one, and it would also probably have to be long-term rather than as a stopgap. Uh, on United's side, I think you also have to consider... Would they really want to follow up Mourinho with another manager who's just left Chelsea in quite acrimonious circumstances? Uh, on Marotta, it's an interesting one that's only just emerged over the over the weekend since his announcement. 
Um, but he said that he intends to take a sabbatical rather than jump into another job. And I think we've seen other names like Paul Mitchell at Red Bull Leipzig linked with this director of football role that United are, United are looking to appoint. Um, so I think for now, other avenues are more likely. Uh, and then, yeah, Zidane, who is probably the most likeliest candidate in terms of a Mourinho replacement. He's someone who would command the respect of certain members in that dressing room. And he would steady things somewhat, I think, even if we're sceptical about just how good a manager he is. But I think really the bottom line is is this. When has Ed Woodward moved to sack a manager in the past? With Moyes, it was immediately after the Champions League was out of reach. Van Gaal had a stay of execution up until the FA Cup final, but he'd effectively been sacked before his post-match press conference that day. And I think he would have gone even earlier had they not reached the the final that year. Um, so I think Woodward would be reluctant to change mid-season. I think he is reluctant to change mid-season. And I think history shows that to an extent. The caveat to all this is that Mourinho is a different animal to Moyes and Van Gaal. And he could make the situation impossibly toxic and almost force Woodward's hand. So it's, it it will be results. Re- results will be the kicker, the momentum that carries, that carries brings a decision forward, if you like. So lose to Valencia tonight, struggle against Newcastle, then there's the international break, and then there's a trip to Chelsea right after it. And if those three games go poorly, you wonder then whether things have to come to a head. Thank you, Critch. Uh, Miguel is next up. We're going to talk to him about Spurs Barca, where he will be on Wednesday night. Migs Barca rested Messi on on Saturday. Uh, with this game in mind, what do you think that tells us about Spurs' improved standing in Europe among the sort of big clubs? Well, Spurs have developed a huge amount of respect in Europe now, particularly Spain, where obviously Madrid uh, have been looking at Pochettino and Kane so intently and would have greatly taken Pochettino in the summer. Uh, so that's, I mean, that in itself has framed opinions of Spurs. But it's interesting how these things flip around. I mean, two weeks ago, when they got beaten by Inter Milan and Messi had another masterclass of a night against PSV, I mean, you would have feared for Spurs at that point about what what could happen at Wembley because they, they look, they're on such bad form, can win a game. And up against that. Whereas now, in the space of two weeks, it's completely shifted because Spurs have they've at least got some of their rhythm back. They've you know they've picked up points again. They've showed their durability. And Barca, albeit with Messi in and out, because of games like this uh, have dropped so many points in the last, in the last two weeks. It could completely almost change the perception of their season. Uh, in saying that, it's it's what it always comes back to with Barca and what is pretty much their defining element right now. If Messi's on it then you can forget about everything else. And that's what's been responsible for their last few league titles. Uh, that's what is responsible for most of their victories now. And that is the major responsibility for Spurs, finding a way to kind of shuttle them out of the game or do something. But if he's on form, then <laughs> they can almost forget about it. If he's not on, if he's not at his best, then this Barca side has vulnerability, vulnerabilities. And even if Spurs themselves aren't at their best, I think they still have an organ... An organisation, I mean, in t- tactically, you could actually argue there's slightly more about Spurs and Pochettino than there is about Barca and Valverde, but they don't have Messi. And I know you're you're obviously focused on this game, but you're also at, at Chelsea-Liverpool on Saturday. Uh, I've been discussing that here with Liam and Luke. 
what do you expect from them in a kind of a, a tough trip for Liverpool to Naples where Carlo Ancelotti's waiting and it sounds like the locals aren't particularly pleased with him uh, Liverpool very much impressed me on Saturday against Chelsea uh, but for very different reasons I mean, to be honest, as, uh, even though they're kind of building up a siege towards the end of that game, I was expecting a defeat. I was surprised that they just late goal. And I thought it was one of the kind of almost one of those typical stories with, with Klopp at Liverpool where they're so good to a certain point, but then ultimately they just can't take it through. And OK, they didn't win the game, but I think that draw and the manner of it and the meaning of it will be uh, will be almost more important to Liverpool than say having having won that game, you could just had it got out of a a situation we would have seen before, um. So I think they're going to be very dangerous for everyone this season in that regard, and that you you can pretty much tell that old slight fragility to the vulnerability, it might be being gradually eroded to the point it's not going to be an issue anymore. Uh, I think Napoli are the opposite, and I think. I mean, I don't want to disparage Ancelotti too much, although I've always had issues with his league record. Um, but I think he is a manager on the decline. Um, I think you could. I suppose the major thing with him and Napoli is that Sarri had such a defined style imposed on that team, and it was applied so rigorously. Whereas Ancelotti is so much more laissez faire. And as with, as with Bayern after Pep, it feels like Napoli are still. The, the, a lot of the players are still almost performing that style from muscle memory. But that's gradually fading away. So while Liverpool, I suppose, are gradually becoming a more resolute side, Napoli, I think, are gradually becoming a, a looser side. There still might be enough about them to trouble Liverpool, especially uh, in in Naples, which you know is always going to be an awkward Champions League venue in that regard and uh, an intimidating Champions League venue. But I, I think Liverpool will just will just have have too much. Although again, a, a draw in this situation will be by by no means um, a poor result. And the last man to talk to has been at the Ryder Cup this weekend uh, with me. It's Jonathan Liu, who's not going to Spurs versus Barcelona because he has an important five-a-side game. So, um, Johnny, tell us the situation here and, and what exactly is the, the, the prize on offer? OK, so basically um, my team, which we're called Xmas Jackson, and Flax and Waxen, uh, we started playing in this five-a-side league three years ago. And since then, there's been like six or seven seasons. And we started in Division 1, and then we got relegated to Division 2, and then we got relegated to Division 3. Then there was a little sort of plateauing period in Division 3, and then we got relegated to Division 4, where the, the bottom of all four divisions, uh, where we have now resided for um, for a couple of years. And uh, this season is our is our chance to basically get promotion for the first time. Um, we're about two-thirds of the way through the season, um, we, we we do pretty well. We feel like we've got a measure of most of the teams, and um, this is one of those sort of must-win games um, against a team whose whose name escapes me actually. Um, but it's very very big, and the prize is um, an an escape from eternal ignominy, which I think is I think we can all agree is something that um, that all men and women strive for for most of their lives. Thank you to Johnny. Thank you to all the guys uh, out and about. They have uh, <laughs> thankfully contributed to this podcast to get a nice Champions League phone in for the first time. If you like it, let us know. If you don't like it, uh, don't tell us because the boys get sad when they hear criticism. Um, but until then, uh, do we have any further thoughts you would like to share on the weekend's Premier League action, Luke or Liam? Oh, put me on the spot there. 
Mr. Um, Palace Bournemouth. I know you were all watching that. Two one. Wasn't as good as uh, Burnley Cardiff. On Burnley Sunday, Cardiff. Which was absolutely super. Ball in play for forty two minutes. That is, that is inc- I, I can't believe that. It's incredible. I can't believe Neil Warnock is still a Premier League manager. Um, I just. The thing is, they've not they've not been playing like that badly. Like, I know, obviously, they've made a really bad start, but they were they were okay, and they like played well against they Arsenal. Play, a few it, weeks it's so old fashioned the way they play. Though, it's yeah, like, it also feels like even the way Warnock is acting, it just feels like he's treating this entire season as like a sort of media friendly tour. Yeah, he knows that they can't stay up, so he's just being as nice to every journalist or they every interview as he just can be. Don't look like, a t- like it is almost like he's just going to enjoy it. Yeah, they don't look like a team that has a chance of staying up. Big big season out, why not? Yeah. Well. Um, Arsenal at the weekend. Yeah, same old story. They didn't play that well and won, so they're they're, they're picking up points. They're That's doing better okay. than the other way around, though, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, well obviously Arsenal supporters are like super neurotic, and there's been quite a lot of kind of you know angst over you know the fact that they're not playing very well and they keep starting games like incredibly slowly. Um, but Watford have made a really good start and have been playing very well, and you know probably did deserve something out of that match, but. They just the the problem with Watford style of play. I think this was the first time Javi Gracia has actually had to change his starting eleven, which is insane. Um, and they pressed relentlessly and played really well. And then seventy five minutes, they just died. Alex Awobi comes on, runs down the right wing, sets up the goal, and then two minutes later, Arsenal score again. So it was quite a kind of clinical performance from Arsenal, I suppose. How much do you feel like Arsenal have changed? Because it they were always good at beating the teams they should beat, even under Wenger, weren't they? Yeah, I think there's. Uh, you can notice the improvement. Like, I, I didn't even think at the beginning of the season. Obviously, the City game you just scratch completely because mm. they were never going to win that. Never looked likely um, to win that match. But we were we were both at Chelsea, weren't we? And I thought for the Chelsea game that was kind of really in the balance. Um, and they responded to that defeat really, really well. Um, have yeah kept picking up points. And I think now you can now you can really start to see what Emery is doing with that team and what he's trying to achieve. Um, and the problems he's got more at the moment is just trying to work out where to slot players. Um, the was, problem is, though, when you're not playing well and you're getting results, that if the results take a downturn, then people are very quick to jump on you. Yeah. Um, but this is this is very Emery. This is kind of what you'd expect from Unai Emery, I think. Based just on this. And I think it suits Arsenal to after the last season and the whole Arsene Wenger pantomime of the last however many years. I think it suits them to kind of be kind of be flying under the radar a little bit at the moment. There's not too much fuss, you know, they're kind of just keeping their heads down, getting on with business and it'll be I think the really interesting thing this week in Azerbaijan and also at Craven Cottage on the weekend will be to see how Bernd Leno does in goal. Because mm. he came on for Czech who was did his hammy just before half time and had a great great second half, made like an absolutely superb save to deny Troy Deeney and you know, you can just see like how he kind of knits that defence together a little bit better than Czech. Um, and he was spraying around passes and stuff. So, yeah, I think that's the big kind of talking point ahead of Azerbaijan, if there is one. And we will be discussing Azerbaijan next Monday, the big game, Karabag versus Arsenal, the big game, Chelsea versus Videoton. Thank you, guys. Sorry, they're not called Videoton anymore. Just Vidi. Um, thank you for oh, ending on that. Thank though. you for all our phoning uh, helpers, uh, Miguel Delaney, Jack Pitt-Brook, Mark Critchley, and... Uh, Johnny Lou, who uh, we all wish the best of luck in his private side <laughs> conquests <laughs> on Wednesday night. Uh, I've been Ed Malian. Thank you to Luke. Thank you to Liam. And thank you to ACAST, our podcast providers. Uh, until next time, thank you for joining us. <laughs>